It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. It's Monday and it's time for another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Brandon and I take it back to the gym. And we're talking about exercise prescription. Uh, this is something where, like Brandon likes to say, you know, principles are few and methods are many. And we're really going to talk about some of those principles. So if somebody's more beginner, intermediate versus advanced, we'll talk about how to kind of, uh, you know, analyze where somebody is on that continuum. What are some characteristics when you should think about when uh, deciding what exercises to use or the types of exercises, uh, specifically with like movement pairing uh, and more advanced concepts as the person moves along that continuum. There's a lot of information here. Uh, if you write exercise programs, this is something where I would say get out a pen and paper, take some notes, listen to it more than once because I tend to, to get long-winded on some of these answers, but I really think it is some great information. Um, as we talked about the last couple episodes, we've got to have a few Con Ed episodes coming up, uh, Con Ed courses, I should say, uh, November 3rd and November 10th, uh, both here in Columbia, Body Tempering on the 3rd uh, at Spud's Place uh, in the Northeast, and uh, Chris Johnson coming in uh, with management for runners on the November 10th. I think it's 10th and 11th at Vertex. So please make sure to uh, check those courses out. If you haven't already, go subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, give us a topic you want us to talk about. Uh, we love those. It really helps us uh, make sure that we're talking about what you want to hear. So without further ado, here's today's episode. Hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Josh and I are discussing exercise selection and more specifically, we're going to get into movement pairing because when it comes to programming, just like everything else, you got to pay attention to the details because we all know that's what separates the good from the great. And with that said, if you are intentional and intelligent with how you are pairing movements and programming exercises within a program, you could be either leaving a lot on the table or maybe even sometimes making people worse movers. For example, they could be slower in a movement that requires a lot of velocity. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, with that said, Josh, the old saying is that principles are few and methods are many. So what are some of the main principles or the main things that you consider with exercise selection for, say, a beginner versus someone that might be a little more intermediate or advanced? Yeah, man, I think that is important to kind of evaluate where does this person sit on kind of this training continuum. And there are so many factors that that fit into that that would make somebody more of a beginner versus intermediate or advanced. Um, things that you would look into with that would be a biological age. That's one of them. But also training age. There's a big difference there. Uh, you know, there could be somebody could be the exact same age. They could both be 30 years old. And someone could be brand new to resistance training and somebody else could have been in the weight room, you know, living in the weight room since they were 15. So I think that um, 
there, you have to really look at the individual and kind of look at where they are on this entire continuum. Um, and also look at kind of that kind of helps you kind of an idea of where they are relative to their maximum physical potential. You know, is this person just starting out, their nervous system's not very developed, they have a lot of room for growth, or is this person, you know, they've been at it for a while, and they're, uh, you know, they're more towards the, the top end of their maximum physical potential. Uh, I think that all changes on how you are, all, all those things kind of help influence how you go about programming this. So when we're talking about a beginner, and that's kind of for a very generic kind of easy way to do it if we're looking at beginner versus immediate, intermediate versus advanced. For the beginner, I'm probably going to be doing primarily, you know, full body type movements and I'm hitting all the major movement patterns in almost every session. So that means I'm probably doing a, a squatting movement, a hinging movement, an upper body push, an upper body pull, a single leg variation and some kind of maybe core stability type movement pretty much every session. You know, so if this person is, is in here three days a week, I'm probably doing all of those movement patterns over the course of the whole week, every single day. All right. And the reason that I'm, that I'm probably going to do that really is because uh, they're not able to dig deep enough in their nervous system yet that we're not maximally training the movement. Anyway, we're creating these neural adaptations because they're still learning how to train. So they're not taxing themselves enough where they can't repeat that movement over and over again. And I need that volume. I need that time under tension to help them learn how to perform that movement pattern. So um, for example, Somebody comes in to me and, um, you know, they're a beginner. I'm probably going to have a lot of, you know, A, A1, A2, B, B1, B2, C1, C2, whatever it might be. Or I'm hitting a lot of different movement patterns there. And we'll talk about how to pair those things. So what's appropriate to pair with each other in terms of like A1 and A2. But in general, I'm hitting, you know, maybe it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm hitting resistance training with this, begin, you know, this beginning athlete or this begin, beginner client. And I'm hitting all these different movement patterns, keeping the time under tension high, keeping the variance high, um, because that's going to help with all that motor learning of those patterns themselves. Now, um, when I say I want to have, you know, that the variance high, I, that means across the week, if say I'm doing a knee flexion exercise on each day or four, I'm, I'm hitting a, probably a different one on each day of the week. Um, so maybe on Monday I'm, I'm doing a anterior load squat, say it's a goblet squat. And then Tuesday I'm doing a safety bar variation. And maybe, um, Wednesday has more of a, uh, maybe a little bit more, uh, of like a dumbbell variation, like a, a dumbbell front squat or dumbbell thruster. All right. Well, the next week I'm probably going to still repeat some of the same movement pat, those exact same movements to be able to, again, continue the learning process. So maybe I do hit goblet squats again that next week, but maybe instead of the safety bar, I hit a, you know, a barbell front squat or a barbell back squat. And then maybe I move from a, uh, a dumbbell front squat to a kettlebell front squat, slightly changing the load. So notice how there is some variation, but certain themes are being carried across because in the beginning, as we talked about, they're not really training the movement as much as they're training the pattern. They're, re they're learning how to train. They're learning how to perform these movements. So when it comes to beginner, you know, and that's kind of, we'll kind of break there for a second to see if there are any you know, questions or we want to elaborate on anything, but that, that's kind of where my thought is. I'm, I'm really trying to look at the whole spectrum, a lot of variance, a lot of time under tension, a lot of volume, um, because again, it's not taxing their nervous system. They're not able to dig deep enough. No, I like that a lot. And, and I think it's important just to, to, to realize for the client and the coach is that physiological adaptation, that's, that's a chronic process. So you got to keep in mind that, you know, you're in this for the long haul. And, um, I think just to kind of summarize what you said, you basically said that for a beginner movement competency is our initial goal. Yeah. And motor control. Kind of, yep. That's it. That's yeah. So that's, that's the foundation that you're going to build off of. And, uh, and you said that most initial gains are just neurological adaptations. So why not make the emphasis creating a solid motor engram and mm -hmm. 
for that to happen, we got to have a lot of a lot of time, a lot of reps, a lot of time under tension, a lot of volume to create that. Correct. Yeah, exactly, man. I think that that um, that stage is going to be very different for um, a lot of people because you know they're one. If it's a, we'll talk about from a biological age standpoint. If this person is is pretty young, we'll say maybe they're like thirteen, fourteen years old, and they're coming to you, they're going to be in this stage for a while. You know, you know, five, six, seven years where they're before I'm really worried about them getting to try, you know, trying to set new one rep max, you know, type activity just because, you know, that's where they are in their develop um, and their development. That kind of makes sense. But the same thing, you know, if, if someone's 45 years old and comes to me and they're brand new to weight training, it's not going to take them five, six, seven years to move into the intermediate category because of their advanced biological age. They'll probably move into more of that uh, intermediate category a little bit earlier on. So that's why I like to think about this as like a continuum and each person you're evaluating all those different things about them and about their life uh, to kind of determine where they sit. So you can kind of, uh, you know, base your prescription on that. Gotcha. So, when do you decide to make the transition into the intermediate phase? Yeah, I wish there was a set like criterion where it's like, all right, you hit this point, you can do X, Y, and Z. Boom, you're now an intermediate athlete. Um, unfortunately, doesn't really work that way, or at least I haven't figured out the the magic formula to determine that. So um, when I'm thinking about it, you know, most people eventually fall into that intermediate prescription. This is somebody, again, in general, who's been training one and a half, two years at least, you know, um, for most people, again, it could be if somebody's more starting at more of an advanced age, there that it could be a little bit quicker. I go into the stage if somebody's a little bit younger, um, you know, maybe it takes a little bit longer. Um, but for me, they, they, another key to this is they already kind of know these movements. When I say know these movements, the consistency at which they perform these movements is locked in. They're, they're able to repeat that movement pattern over and over and over again. I'm not worried about you know, them learning how to perform the movement anymore. This person is able to now train this movement. So I can increase the intensity. I can increase the complexity. Um, I'm going to probably end up moving away from doing all those movement patterns on the same day for most days because this person now has developed their nervous system enough that they can dig deep enough on these types of movements that they're not going to be able to recover in time to perform them every time they come in the gym. I can't necessarily go through that same, you know, hitting a bilateral squat variation Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with any sort of intensity with this group um, because their relative intensity now is high enough. They can dig deep enough into their nervous system that they're not going to be able to recover enough to continually train that. So for me, I'm trying to think more of like splits. Now I'm starting to think about how do I break up the focus of the in, of each training session to be able to, you know, allow for, you know, that adaptation. So so for this, maybe I'm splitting it more into, um, you know, classically an upper and lower split. A beginner doesn't necessarily need to do an upper and lower split. Um, you know, they don't necessarily need to do all push, you know, all pushing and pulling on one day and all you know, leg day on the next day. Um, but as I get into more of an intermediate person, it might be, you know, appropriate for me to start splitting these things up. So maybe Monday is a a lower body squat and an upper body pull, you know, focus for the day. And maybe Tuesday is a hinge or a bending lower body bend and an upper body push. And then maybe I rest Wednesday and then Thursday I repeat what I had on Monday and Friday I repeat what I had on Tuesday in terms of the focus, not repeating the exact exercises, but those movement priorities are the same on those days. So now you can see, it, you know, that allows for a little bit more time between similar movement patterns because when I train those movement patterns, I'm able to, you know, the relative intensity is, is higher now because they're now in that intermediate stage. They've gone through where they learn the movement. They can really train the movement now. So it allows me to, to, um, 
to tax them enough, but not too much. Um, mm -hmm. So there's plenty of ways you can split it. You can do upper, lower, upper, lower. You can do, like I mentioned, I love pairing kind of things like, you know, on, on kind of from a broader scale, a, you know, by, you know, a squatting pattern with an upper body pulling pattern because I think of a squat more as a lower body push with an upper body pull. And then the opposite, a hinge uh, or a bending pattern is more of a lower body pull paired with an upper body push. I think you can do like that kind of split. Um, you could even make it where you do um, a, you know, as this person maybe is transitioning, they're, they're kind of, they've been an intermediate for a while. Maybe day one is just mainly a squatting focus or a, a knee flexion focus Tuesdays, a push and pull. And then they rest Wednesday, Thursday, you come in or maybe Wednesday, they do energy system training. Thursday is an off day. They come back in Friday. Maybe it's a big hinge focus. And then Saturday is a push and pull again. So you can, you can really get creative with how you split, but I hope that makes sense on how somebody, once they've been training a little bit longer, maybe they're a little bit more advanced in age, their nervous system's a little more developed. They've put in the time to learn the movement pattern. They have it down. Now I'm in, increasing the uh, complexity of the movements and the intensity, the relative intensity is, uh, is going to be higher. So I've got to find the ways to split this up. Man, that was great. That was very thorough. Um, I, I got a couple, a couple, I guess, points I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one's a question, one's a point. So just another thing to keep in mind for people listening is that this is all based off of an individual mm -hmm. basis, individual process. So if you have 10 athletes, they're not all going to adapt in the same way. Exactly. So, so with that said, you know, one of the things you mentioned was that what you program, one th thing that's going to factor in is how well they are recovering. Mm -hmm. So how do you gauge that? How do you measure that? Do you do it with just subjective measures? Are you actually checking things like, like heart rate variability? Like what's your go-to with that? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question too, man. I think I'm still, I think there's a lot of promising research on some, like from more of a um, kind of a quantitative recovery type score, whether it be heart rate variability or things like the whoop band or other things that actually give you like a recovery score or a strain score. I think there's some promising steps maybe made in the right direction. I don't bank everything on that right now. Um, but I, I, for me, I'm looking you know, I take the 30,000 foot view first, I kind of look at, okay, over the course of this cycle, over the course of this week, you know, are they performing up to the standard that which I expected, which, you know, again, you should, you know, be that engaged with your client that you you should have somewhat of an expectation of how things are going to go. Again, you never can predict it, but you've got an idea. And then if it's not where I expected things might go, then I need to dig a little bit further. Same with, um, you know, I do do some subjective type recovery, um, uh, recovery scores or metrics. I, I ask people about their sleep, about the soreness levels, uh, you know, some things about like vigor or what I would call an oomph score, kind of like, you know, how, you know, how ready were you to get after it in the gym today? Um, because there's sometimes, you know, you know, people are, you know, scoring low, quote unquote, on that measure where, where they're just not, you know, there's just something not there. That might be a little bit of a cue. Um, I do a lot of test and retest just like you would in the clinic, but in the strength conditioning world, it might be, you know, the beginning and end of a cycle, or if it's a longer cycle, maybe somewhere in the middle, I'm putting in something where I can reassess where their performance is. Um, I think that there's a lot of different ways you can go. Um, I wish there was like one set answer. Uh, but for me, I start with kind of a broad view. I have somewhat of an expectation or a hypothesis of where it's going to go. And then I'm just kind of looking at the evidence, like how they perform, what they're saying, and then what the numbers tell me. And does that line up? Now, that's a good answer, man. I mean, that, that really just, just follows the overarching theme of this episode, right? Principles are few, methods are many. Just yeah. make sure you make sure you're checking that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's so important. Yeah, you've got to be looking at it because that's one reason I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, we can talk about, you know, you know, the method of programming in terms of like how I lay out somebody's programming for weeks, months, years, whatever it might be. So I don't write 
you know, a few months and send it to somebody because, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know how they're going to respond to, you know, workout number six and seven and eight that were on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of week three or whatever, you know, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Like you don't know right. how they're going to respond to that. So if I've written out a couple months based on my expectations, I could be either setting them up for failure or it's just, it, honestly, the most of the subsequent workouts are just going to be inappropriate for them based on what happened in the previous workout. So for me, mm -hmm. I, I lay out templates in terms of like a skeleton for someone that might have one of those splits built in and maybe I have a lot of notes on what my expectations are um, in their template or what I would call a skeleton or their plan but I, I really weekly evaluate how they're doing and put their actual workouts in there because if something isn't going the way I, that I wanted to it gives me an opportunity now to pull back and adjust um, or if something's going better than I thought it was going to then I can actually you know progress faster than I thought as long as it's within that same you know acute chronic ratio that, that I want um, to make sure I'm preventing injury I can I can adjust my progression um, week to week if needed based on kind of having that cycle laid out, but then evaluating performance more, more frequently. Gotcha. So, I mean, you got to just be able to adjust on the yeah. fly because there's a lot of things that are going to factor into it. Yeah, man. Um, so then with that said, let's, let's move on to the more advanced athlete, right? So this oh, yeah. is where I imagine we're going to get, we're going to get fancy. We're going to get more complex. <laughs> Maybe yeah. if they're say a CrossFit athlete, we might be able to get away with overlaying more complexity because the variability of sport. Can you talk about that a little bit? What that's going to look like? Yeah, man. I, I think one thing I want to preface this with is I think we like to think that athletes are advanced way earlier than they actually probably should be categorized as advanced. Um, this is somebody who has an extensive training history and or a higher biological age. Um, you know, again, I look at, at my, um, you know, my CrossFit Games athlete, um, Ethan, you know, he's 22 and has been at this sport for four years. You might think because of his performance that he's going to be more in that advanced category. But honestly, a lot of the principles I'm using are much more along the lines of the intermediate category because that's the rate of adaptation that I'm seeing. You know, so if I throw these advanced concepts to him, I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving the low-hanging fruit. You know, it's still there for the taking. So I want to take advantage of that when somebody is still more in that intermediate stage. So I think it's really important to, to take this, you know, on an individual basis, when it comes to advanced prescription, that person really has got to be training for five plus years at a minimum before I'm really starting to look into these things. Um, and, and, you know, this is where I'm looking for higher levels of complexity in the movements. Um, I'm focusing more, again, on per, uh, performance. Um, you'll bring in things like incomplete rest. You'll alter your set and rep schemes. You're going to get creative there. Um, you're, it's something where you were going to have a much more specific characteristic you're working on on each day. So it might be that um, over the course of a week, maybe I'm doing, um, you know, let's just say for, for this athlete, Monday is a clean and jerk focus. And, and, and then Tuesday is a squat focus. Wednesday's energy system work. Thursday's a supplemental clean and jerk piece. Uh, Friday is a snatch focus. Um, and Saturday's a heavy hinge focus, you know, like it could be that specific and your exercise selection in terms of, or I should say your number of exercises is smaller. Um, you know, because you're, you're not going to hit eight hinge exercises on the day where you're prioritizing hinging, where you might hit eight different exercises for a beginner where you're doing all those different movement patterns. So your time under tension is lower. Um, your exercise uh, volume, number of exercises is lower. Your overall volume is usually a little bit lower. But again, there's some individual variance there when it looks at like neuro neuromuscular efficiency and things like that. So um, there's still some variance within that. But those themes are going to be, um, you know, are going to carry, you know, hold true for most of those advanced athletes. It might be, you know, 
exercise one could be clean and jerk, um, you know, where I'm, it's more of a, a strength speed activity prior to some absolute strength work, but still a hinge, um, you know, a hinge, we'll say it's a hinge day, um, Tuesday, you know, the exercise two, maybe, B, you know, so that's a B might be a heavy RDL. Um, and then you know, C might be a little C1, C2, C3 that has a single leg hinge movement, um, some kind of bracing, and then some other skill movement. Maybe it's like a single leg dumbbell RDL for that, maybe a ring front leaning rest or an L sit on the rings variation, and then a skill movement like a triple under or a handstand walk obstacle um, or something paired together. So if you notice, like the number of exercises is lower, there's a very specific theme, the time under tension is lower. So uh, uh, hopefully that kind of makes sense there um, on, on why you would go to that. And a lot of it's just because the nervous system is so much more developed at that point that every time that they add intensity or they go with intensity there, it's so much more taxing um, that it takes longer to recover from. It's um, I love James Fitzgerald's light bulb analogy um, where, you know, beginners can only turn that bulb on with a flicker it's a little flicker and they can keep hitting that little flicker over and over again but intermediates you can start to turn the bulb on a little brighter just a little bit brighter well you get some of these advanced athletes they're turning that bulb on to full blast when they when they try to add intensity to something and then when you do that it takes that much longer before you can turn that bulb on full blast again so um and that is you know essentially if we think of the nervous system as in you know a a you know for a complexity sake we're thinking of like a circuitry it's like the circuit is just you know a better circuit they can perform better in that movement pattern they can train it heavy or harder and heavier and so i got to take that into account um and then of course you're going to add in more of your your sexier um type exercise pro, uh, progressions here or pairings here where you're going to do your you know this is where like your post-activation potentiation your contrast training or your drop sets your you know there's so much you know creativity you can do there that isn't necessarily needed early on in somebody's training journey. No, I love that uh, light bulb analogy. So I guess just another way of saying that is essentially when you have someone that's truly advanced, that's when you're going to have to have those tools in your toolbox, like that post activation potentiation to be able to truly get that bulb burning brightly. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, versus exactly. someone who's more, more beginning where the fundamentals are going to get the job done essentially. Yeah, exactly, man. Like those, you have to get creative at those higher level that when the athlete's at higher level, because otherwise you're not going to see that adaptation. You have to have some kind of novel stimulus. You got to have bands, chains, something that's going to, you know, be different for them. Or you do post, you know, PAP to be able to, um, you know, recruit those higher threshold motor units, um, you know, before that more dynamic activity, like you're getting really specific things, which is the sexy stuff that everybody wants to know. But uh, again, it's, it's not necessary early on uh, because most people, you know, they don't need that complexity and arguably they're not going to be able to express, you know, what you're trying to do. So they're not going to be able to get as much out of it anyway. Um, So I I think people, you know, jump too far too fast um, for a lot uh, in a lot of instances. And you just really need to evaluate where that individual sits on kind of this whole, you know, lifespan of training. Gotcha. So with that said, kind of backing up a little bit to someone who, who is a beginner, Mm-hmm. How do you sell movement development to them? Oh man, yeah, that's a great question. I try to relate it back to their why and their function, man. I think that's what you do in in any instance where you're working with somebody, whether it be strength conditioning, PT, whatever it is. You got to figure out, okay, why did this person come to me? Um, and you know, a lot of times when it's that beginner, um, you know, 
this isn't necessarily somebody that's looking to compete in CrossFit. You know, maybe they are, but a lot of times that's not it. And if they are, I can usually, you know, sell the importance of laying a foundation uh, of, you know, for those uh, more advanced movements. And then I can, you know, kind of tell them, give them an idea of what like a progression looks like. But a lot of times when you relate it back to their why, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy sell, you know, Oh, you're, you're trying to, you know, you know, stay out of pain, be able to move a little better, be able to pick up your grandkids, you know, be able, you know, not get winded when you're walking around the grocery store. I mean, it's, it's not too hard sometimes when you're just, when you keep reminding them their why and you frame it in terms of like of their why. So, you know, when we're talking, you know, when I give somebody, you know, certain, you know, exercise prescription, uh, I'm kind of, you know, giving them an idea a lot of times, I'm, you know, they be verbally or written in, into their program what the, the point of it is, you know, why are we doing it? And a lot of times when you, you put it back to that person's underlying, what makes them tick, you know, then it's usually an easy sell. So you got to be a good listener. That sounds familiar. Yeah, man. I mean, that's all it is. And that's, you get all this from your consultation and your assessment. When you meet with somebody the first time, you got to sit there, you got to listen, you got to ask open-ended questions, you got to keep digging, you got to ask the same questions in a few different ways um, to really get down to it, why that person is coming to see you, what they're looking for. Because I have people that come to me that tell me, they, you know, they come to me because they want to be a CrossFit competitor. When, you know, you dig deeper, that's really not their goal. It's not what their priorities are. It's not you know, how they're living their life. And it's, it's not going to, you know, give them this feeling of fulfillment even if they do get to that point so you got to keep digging deeper figuring out why the person's there what they want to accomplish and then frame things in terms of that and that creates a ton of buy-in and it just shows them that you care about them yeah that's that's great man like that's that's what matters in the, the day like they they have to know that you actually care that you're in it for them that you're in mm -hmm. it for their best interest not just to make money that kind of thing because people can pick up on that they can sense it even if they don't say it right out loud if they don't acknowledge it right off the bat um so that's that's a really important concept i'm glad you touched on that yeah. And if you put, if you kind of categorize, you know, and again, we're, I don't want to say we're categorizing people, but if you are kind of looking at these principles and applying them to people you think fit into these general scenarios, um, you know, it's going to be challenging for that person. Um, you're going to be able to still challenge that person in different ways uh, with these same principles. Um, it's not like, you know, you know, developing motor control is necessarily easy for, for beginners. A lot of times when you're giving these, these gnarly tempos and time under tensions and, and you're really focusing on perfection of movement and, you know, it, it can be taxing, can be challenging. It provides a different stimulus. And then at the same time, when you're providing this resistance training, you know, you're still working on developing them from, you know, an aerobic standpoint, or you're, you know, we're looking at kind of the, the, the conditioning side of the strength conditioning as well and and so they're still going to be able to make progress you're all all the while you're working on their nutrition with it too and you kind of lay out this this whole plan and you're working at it from all sides then then it's not a tough sell to explain to somebody why it's important to focus on learning how to do the movement as best that we can outstanding yeah I think that sums it up nicely yeah is there anything else you want to do uh make sure we touched on before we yeah. sign off you know, I mentioned earlier um, something about talking about how, you know, what movements pair well together. And so I kind of did want to maybe touch on that a little bit. When we talk about yep. um, like movement pairing, so like the classic supersets or things like that, this can be really beneficial, um, but it's got to be used in, at the right time and with the right types of movements. Um, so uh, when it comes to, say, a beginner, um, you know, it's okay to pair a lot of these movements together because ultimately they're not, you know, again, they're not able to dig deep enough into their nervous system where it's going to matter. But as someone gets more and more advanced, um, it gets, you know, when you pair exercises together, it actually makes it harder to get maximum nervous system development because there is some, 
you know, other conflicting mechanism going on at the same time, even if it is kind of opposing action. Um, so if I'm really trying to focus on, you know, somebody building up their absolute strength of their squat and they're more intermediate to the advanced uh, in terms of all those other things we talked about, I'm probably not pairing their squat with something. I'm probably keeping that its own separate, um, you know, that's part A. And I'm at, giving them adequate rest to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm that is a priority in their training. Um, but when, it, when somebody's more of a beginner or, you know, if you're trying to, again, save some time, which is great, um, it's a great option to pair things back together. And there's even some studies that show you can actually get better activation or achieve some better activation when you um, have kind of an imposing muscle contraction prior to it. Um, so, you know, I definitely do go back and forth with this. So things like buys and tries are a push and a pull, vertical push, vertical pull, horizontal push, horizontal pull, um, knee flexion, knee extension, hip flexion, hip extension. Uh, I mentioned squat and upper body pull or a posterior chain, like a hinge and an upper body push. Um, I, you could, uh, do an overhead press and, a ver um, I already mentioned a vertical press, a vertical pull, but you could do a horizontal pull and a vertical press with it. Um, there, you know, there's so many different ways you can do it. Um, I would usually start. Um, with things that are a little bit more opposing in actions. Um, but as you get more into those intermediate and advanced, another, some of those concepts could be where you actually do non-opposing actions there. Um, so you could do um, something that has like two multiple grip, you know, multiple grip movements, uh, you know, back to back with that. Um, I like to do things that are like, again, you talk about post-activation potentiation or things like that, where it's like maybe a heavy double weighted pull up into a muscle upset for a certain number of reps based on that person's capacity. And like, uh, so imagine five sets of two weighted pull ups. Um, at you know moderate to tough, not a true grind, but something that's that's challenging. Rest 15 seconds or something short, 10 seconds. Get the weight off of you. Hop up on the rings and then do um, a you know depend. It really it would be dependent on the person's capacity how many reps they would do. But we'll say an AMRAP minus two. So they would do a max set, but leave a couple in in the tank um, and then rest three minutes and repeat to where you're getting a little bit of activation prior going into it. Um, and you can do drop sets like that. Uh, so you can get creative with the pairings, but initially I usually focus on some opposing actions. You know, it might be, um, a uh, single leg paired with a, uh, a core movement. So like a split squat and a, you know, hollow hold, you know, you can, you can really get creative with it, but that's a good way, especially with beginners uh, to get a, you know, get all those different movement patterns in. Um, and I think you can, you know, save a lot of time, get a lot done, but just know that as you get further on um, that training continuum, you're probably going to have to you know, pull out your big priorities and put those by themselves because maximal nervous system development really kind of needs its own little thing. Gotcha. I like that. So basically with the beginner, the pairings are going to essentially be like an A1, A2. Yeah, a a, yeah. A1, A2. Uh, that's how I write it. I write A1, A2. That tells the person um, that I want them to go back and forth between them. And then for when I would go to B, that would be separate from A1, A. And or, so if it's A, B, C, I would do all of A all of B, all of C. Some people will write one, two, three, and then they'll do like one A, one B. It doesn't really matter how you write it as long as you and your, and your client are on the same page. So I'll do an A1, A2 means I'm going back and forth there, move on, maybe B's by itself, move on, C1, 2, 3. So they're going 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3 of C until that's done, and then move on to D, whatever it might be. Um, I think that that can um, really be beneficial for a lot of people. Um, and it lets me, lets me get a lot of volume in and with a beginner or even the early stages of intermediate, I need that because we're still learning how to perform those movements and we got to hit a lot of repetitions and I can't be there all day. So, um, that's a good way to, to kind of get a lot into a short period of time.
Yeah, that's, that's the first thing I was thinking, man. That'll keep you from being in the gym for two hours. Yeah, get man, you can, it's efficient. you can get a lot done quickly and they not take away from each other. Because like I said, they're not digging that deep on any of those movements anyway. They're learning how to do it. So those actions are, aren't going to take away from each other. Um, so I'm going to be able to, 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 you know, really still get a lot out of training, even if I'm doing, you know, you know, things with very little rest, you know, a, a tempo goblet squat, rest 45 seconds into a, um, a, assisted pull up in some way a gravitron or lat pull down or something or maybe a, a horizontal row if i'm doing that uh, kind of a lower body push and upper body pull and then rest you know 45 seconds a minute back to the squat it's been long enough for them to be able to get back into the squat because again they didn't dig deep enough in the squat to where their nervous system needs that long of a break to even repeat that set and i can get back and forth pretty quickly and just you know continually develop um the the those motor patterns Awesome, man. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, move, moving on to the more advanced or, or intermediate than advanced. Anything else you want to tweak for what you just talked about? Yeah, I think. It, 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 yeah, I think um, I think you can get a little bit more creative in kind of like those muscle endurance type situations where I'm trying to do drop sets or pair things that are, you know, multiple grip things. You can also pair things that have a metabolic component in there, too. Um, so that's where I'll get into like um, pre-fatiguing, you know, or, or incomplete rest situations, or like, you know, a, a double under set into a, uh, a skilled upper body pulling because I've, I've just, you know, gotten the heart rate up. I've fatigued grip and shoulders a little bit. And then now I'm doing a dynamic upper body pulling, um, to, you know, you're, you're training very specific characteristics there. So you can get a little bit more creative, but it's, you know, those kind of things are so unnecessary when somebody's new to training. Mm-hmm. And is that also where you program like cluster sets in where like, so they hit a, hit a clean, put it down, rest 15 seconds, hit the second rep, rest 15 seconds, you know, and go through that set and then maybe rest like the two, three minutes in between sets. Is that more for the advanced athlete or more for the beginner? Yeah, that could be more towards uh, intermediate and advanced for that. That's more for me, an energy system protocol where I'm really um, training what would be, I would term CP battery or the ability for a person to recharge their CPE, PCR, whatever you want to call their creatine phosphate, phosphocreatine system, um, be able to recharge it for those submaximal attempts over and over and over again, because that's so important for the sport of fitness. Um, so it would be like somebody doing a, you know, singles at 85% of, of their, you know, clean max and doing one, you know, a single rest 15 seconds, single rest 15 seconds, single rest three minutes, and then go back. Um, things like that are, are really important for, um, you know, somebody's ability to, again, you know, express that energy system over and over and over again or recharge that system. That's why um, I call it a battery. That's, again, another Fitzgerald term um, because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see how fast we can recharge it. But that is more of an intermediate or advanced concept because that that skill, again, I'm relating it back to their why, relating it back to their function. You know, that's a skill specific to a sport. It's not necessarily a skill related to any aspect of, you know, life necessarily. Uh, rarely do I need to pick up a, a heavy box that is almost, you know, you know, on near maximal effort and then do so again very quickly without being able to adequately rest between attempts. So um, that, that's definitely something that's more specific to the sport. Yeah, I guess I kind of went off the rails on that a little bit. That's for a different oh. episode. Huh? No, that's, that's good, man. That's uh, Cluster sets can be great. Um, it also is great for kind of uh, overloading a little bit because you can usually do a higher percentage for a set number of reps than you would do if the stri- if it was a straight set. So imagine, you know, you, you know, for somebody's neuromuscular efficiency, they're only able to do, um, you know, four reps at 85% when you test their back squat, um, you know, during testing, when you do their one RM, we talked about the neuromuscular efficiency on the episode. If you haven't gone back and listened to that, um, 
do so, and you'll understand what I mean there. So they get four reps at 85%. Well, if I give them two rest, you know, 20 seconds, two rest, 20 seconds, two, um, you know, maybe they're able to do close to that 85% again. And now I've kind of overloaded their nervous system a little bit to where they were able to do something that they were only able to be able to do for four reps. It's like basically a four rep max, but they were able to do it for six reps. And it was a close enough time that I kind of get the benefits from, uh, you know, in terms of adaptation and that strength adaptation of having done it for six reps there. Um, so if you keep the rest short enough there, you can kind of overload a little bit. Um, so that's a fun way to do it too. So you can use clusters in a few different ways. Dude, my brain's about to explode. <laughs> hey man, I, I, love, I, I love this hey. stuff. Man. I think, it, and I really think that's why it's so important to, to analyze each client individually and, and, look at all those factors. Um, also take into account, um, recovery, lifestyle, nutrition, um, their gut health. I mean, literally every factor is going to determine their ability to recover and also help kind of you figure out where they sit on this continuum. It, you know, it's not, you know, there's no black and white here. It's not, you train five years, you are now advanced, um, or you are 40, you are now advanced. It's, it's totally, uh, individualized and you've got to just, you know, you know, put some, you know, I don't want to say put some in these categories, but try something, evaluate the response and adjust as needed. Um, that's all it is. It's test, you know, test, inter, you put, give an intervention, retest, reevaluate, and then keep going forward. Test, retest, and keep rolling. I like yeah, that. Baby. Yeah. It happens. Amazing. It happens in PT and strength conditioning. Huh? There yeah, we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, it's another thing too is assessment it's it's you you have to do it right the, yeah. the other old saying if you're not assessing you're guessing that kind of thing yeah. um but keep in mind as a client nothing nothing beats compliance to a rigorous training program mm -hmm. that's what's going to get you the result yeah end of the day so you yeah, so got to put the work in yeah the best training program is one that you're going to follow and you believe in that's 100%. It's not that even if it's not the best written one or written exactly, you know, perfectly for you, if you follow it and you believe in it and you're doing everything you can to recover from it, it's the best program for you. It is the best way to improve. Absolutely. Yeah, Outstanding. Man. All right. Well, as always, if you want to reach out, send us a DM on Instagram. That's at better podcast. And you can keep up with Josh at CPT underscore strength. And we have some big announcements coming up at our clinic. So be sure to keep up with that at vertex PT. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you all have a great week and we'll be back next Monday. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor of physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.